Good day, grace and peace to you. It's Captain Roger from the Grass Valley Corps of the Salvation Army, and we are here today to spend a little more time in the book called Acts, also sometimes called Acts of the Apostles, but really what this thing is about is the acts of the Holy Spirit through the early followers of Jesus. And it's a subversive book. Even owning a copy of this was punishable by death. It, and that's because it teaches that Jesus is Lord. You know what? I don't want to whisper that. Jesus is Lord. And beyond that, it advocates for radical inclusion. We have seen uh, stories of the early days in Jerusalem and areas throughout Israel as we've been working through this book. We have seen that those who had been forbidden to take part in worship were accepted and affirmed even though they couldn't change to meet the standard that had previously been claimed to have been required. Apparently, the Holy Spirit moves the people of God towards unconditional love rather than towards restrictive laws. Now, we're coming up to another major event which is going to shock and cause great upheaval in the movement of people who follow Jesus. But before we get there, we've got two small stories at the end of chapter 9 of Acts, which might seem like they're easy to skip over and just read through to get to the next part, but which are actually very important to help us understand how God brings us closer to him one step at a time. So that's where we're going to start today, Acts chapter 9 at verse 32. Um, I'll be reading from the New International Version. Hopefully you've got a Bible in front of you and you could follow along. If it's a different translation, that's fine. The words might be a little different. The meaning behind them should be the same. Um, different translations have different ideas, different ways that they are trying to get the Word of God across. Some try to do it with more understandable language. Some try to do it with more precise language. We're using the NIV 2011 edition because it falls pretty solidly in the middle where it is understandable, and at the same time, it is uh, readable. So, and as I say that, you know what? Let me just, let's start with the first verse, and then I'm going to nitpick it just a bit. All right. Uh, verse 32. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. Now, I really shouldn't start by picking on things, just as I told you this was a good translation, but... In this particular case, this verse is a bad translation. It's not terrible. It doesn't say anything wrong, but it does leave something out, and it's something important. Now, here's a more literal translation. This is the, uh, the Lexham English Bible uh, version of the same verse. Verse 32, now as it... I'm sorry. Now it happened... See, I can tell you... See, this is why you got to check these things for yourself. Anyone can misspeak. Me especially. Start this again. Acts chapter 9, verse 32 from the Lexham English Bible. Now it happened that as Peter was traveling through all the places, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. See, this isn't Peter just visiting some Jesus followers in Lydda. It's while he was traveling, he also, or even, went to see the people there. And if you think I'm reading that with a weird emphasis, uh, I'm not. That's kind of the way it's written. Um, 
as Peter was traveling through all the places, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. Now, Lydda was on the main coastal road. It had been strongly influenced by Greek thought and culture over the years, and it had become one of the ten cities with seats of local Roman government. It was not a place that very many devout Jews would travel without great need. Now, Peter, we're told, he went to visit the saints. And, and the word used there means the set apart or those who have been designated for service. And that is a, a good description of people who accept the call to follow Jesus. We're, we're set apart for service. The believers in Lydda were set apart for service. All right. Even though they were in Lydda, even though they were in Lydda, Peter went to visit them. While he was there, he uh, he met someone else. Look at verse 33. It says, there he found a man named, I, uh, see, I always mess this up. Hang on. I know us. I know us. There he found a man named Inaas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Inaas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. And immediately Inaas got up and all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now, this is a nice little story, right? Short, compact, not, not a whole lot of detail, but it's a nice little story. There are a couple of odd things, though. Inas is a Greek name, meaning that he may not have been Jewish. That's not a certainty. Some Israelites did have Greek names, and Inas was a popular name among people who enjoyed the Inaid, a story by the poet Virgil, which had been written about 50 years earlier, and it was in pretty wide circulation. It was very popular. Inas was the main character in that story. It's also interesting that Peter doesn't seem to have asked if the man wanted to be healed. He just told him Jesus heals, so he should get up. That's something Jesus did sometimes, healing without asking. In fact, in one case, as Jesus approached the city of Nain, this happened. This is from Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 12. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. And then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Now, it's not unusual for Luke to tell certain stories in a way that reminds his audience of previous stories. And this seems to be one of those times. The way Jesus says, get up, is the same way that Peter says, get up. And in both cases, the person being healed gets up immediately. And in both cases, the news spreads quickly through the town and the surrounding area, leading to people coming to belief in Jesus as God's representative. Now, Luke doesn't give so many details in his story about Peter and Aeneas. It doesn't seem to be about the healing so much as it is a, kind of a gateway story into the next event that he wants to relate to us, right? So, go back to Acts, chapter 9, look at verse 36. 
It says, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Now, Joppa, like Lydda, this was a, a city which had gone entirely over to another culture. In this case, it was very Roman, and it had been since the legions had taken it over 30 years earlier. Even more than Lydda, many devout Jews avoided it because it allowed and encouraged so much that they considered to be unclean. But as they had scattered from the persecutions in Jerusalem, many of Jesus' followers had pushed into cities or areas they thought might be safer for them, and Joppa would certainly fall in that category. Also, though we can't say for sure how this community of believers in Joppa had come to be, both Lydda and Joppa are along the route that we were told that Philip preached along as he made his way towards Caesarea. You remember Philip? We talked about him a couple of chapters back. We know that Philip had no qualms about sharing the good news about Jesus, his love, his death, and his resurrection with any person he could, even though if those others might have been thought to be unclean. After all, the Holy Spirit moves the people of God towards unconditional love. Now, in Joppa, we have a disciple. That means a follower of Jesus, someone who does the things Jesus did. A disciple named Tabitha. Or is it Dorcas? Right, it's both. It's both. That wasn't unusual. Many people had a name in their common language and then a name in Greek. And Tabitha is an Aramaic name, and Dorcas is the Greek translation of that name. In English, uh, it might be gazelle because that's what both of them essentially translate to is gazelle or a creature like a gazelle. Luke says that uh, Tabitha is a female disciple and he puts it out there that she is full of good works and help for the poor. And the words he uses in Greek are special and they, they kind of highlight her as a woman of status and importance. Luke does that a lot in his writing. Both in his gospel and in the book of Acts, he tends to tell stories in pairs where he may tell a story with a male main character and then he pairs it with one that has a female character who is every bit an equal and often, as in this story, presented as someone who may be greater than the man in the previous story. Luke is a believer in radical inclusion. He knows the teaching of Jesus. He's spoken to the witnesses. He's seen and heard how believers are to treat one another. And he knows that, just as the Apostle Paul would write in his letters, in Christ there is no race, no nationality, and no gender. We are all simply beloved children of God with a responsibility to love one another the way Jesus said and did. But Luke lived in a time and place where the culture tended to treat women as less valuable than men, which he fights against in what he writes, trying to make sure that no one can take what he says and use it to uphold any kind of oppression or privilege. See, the Holy Spirit moves the people of God towards unconditional love rather than restrictive laws. And Luke wants us to know that to be true. Not just think it's true, not just act like maybe it's true, but to know it to be true. And here he's presenting us with Tabitha, a woman from Joppa, who's an honored follower of Jesus, 
who has status and power and resources, who's full of good deeds, who's always helping the poor, trying to right the imbalances and oppressions of being unhoused in the first century. But something has gone wrong. Tabitha isn't well. Verse 37 says, About that time she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Now, these two cities, they're, they're just ten miles apart down the uh, Roman coastal road. On foot, the distance between the two cities could probably be crossed in five or six hours. And if the travelers focused on getting from one place to the other, they might even get there quicker. How did they know that Peter was there? Probably because they heard about what he did in Lydda. He'd healed Aeneas, and it was amazing, and everyone was talking about it. We know the word had spread to nearby cities, and people were coming to, to Peter to give their lives to Jesus. So when this woman, who was an important part of their community, died, of course they sent for Peter, seeing as he was so close. Why did they send for him? Well, that's a question we can't answer quite so easily, but frankly, there's only one real reason to go to a miracle worker when someone you love dies. They want Peter to bring her back. And verse 39 says, Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room, and all the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. They're, they're trying to show him how much she means to them, how beloved she'd been in their community. And verse 40 says, Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed, and turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up, and he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. Wow, that's an amazing story, isn't it? Just like with an, an Aeneas, Peter calls on Jesus, and then he says, Get up, and Tabitha does. Now, like the story of Aeneas, <clears throat> excuse me, like the story of Aeneas, this is an echo of an earlier story. Luke is telling it in a way that's intended to make us think about this earlier thing that happened when a man came to get Jesus to help with his daughter who was sick. This is from uh, Luke's uh, Gospel, chapter 8, uh, starting at verse 49. It says, well, Jesus was still speaking. Someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe she'll be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand, and he said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up, and then Jesus told him to give her something to eat. This is a thing that comes up a few times in the Gospels. In the first century, people didn't believe that ghosts could eat. So to prove that someone was alive, you could have them eat something. 
if, if you ever watch the show Ghosts, they make a big deal out of their inability to eat. People cook food for them so that they can smell it, but they can't eat it, which is funny, but has absolutely nothing on this whole bringing people back from the dead thing that we're talking about, which is amazing. Now, with the daughter of Jairus, Jesus gets there. He dismisses everyone on on his way in with his, his key followers and the girl's parents so that just those five people are with him. Then he says something. And the girl is restored to life. What does he say? Well, let me read it to you from Mark's gospel, which includes the Aramaic words that Jesus spoke. Mark's uh, gospel says he took her by the hand and they said, I'm sorry, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. So Peter says, Tabitha, get up. Where Jesus said, Talitha, get up. Now, I know I'm practically beating you over the head with the similarity here. That's because this is how early believers saw what was happening. They're seeing Peter living out a life modeled on what he had seen and been taught by his master, Jesus, who they all believed to be God's promised Messiah, the one who came to bring us back to God's original intent for how we are to live. So Peter, what, what we see from Peter in this story in Acts 9, him being willing to go into this Roman area and to work with people there who were committed to following Jesus, even though they were different than uh, most of the Jewish faithful, even though they could be considered unclean by their associations. This was a big step. The fact that he could do that, that he could bring himself to, to do that, it's different from the way he was raised. In these two little stories of, of a healing and a resurrection, in towns that took Peter, Peter farther and farther out of the rule-bound holiness he'd been raised in, that, that shows us something. It should teach us something. First and most importantly, these stories show us that the Holy Spirit moves the people of God towards unconditional love and away from restrictive laws. Second, they show us that even people we may consider untouchable, unclean, and beyond salvation are God's beloved children too. We don't see Peter waiting to make sure that either of these people was right with Jesus, being or believing all the same things he did before he acted. And Jesus certainly didn't do that either. And neither should we. Right? Now, why do we hold back? Why do we err on the side of law rather than the side of love and grace? Well, one of the reasons people are afraid to simply love others and show grace is this fear that somehow those people are going to abuse or take advantage of it. And that somehow that is going to mean that the spirit of God is powerless or that God's word is going to die where it's at. But look what happened after Tabitha was raised. Verse 42. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now, I can't tell you that Aeneas or Tabitha didn't fall away from the faith and become a heretic who tried to put an end to the message of Jesus. I don't think that's even remotely likely. I am very certain, just from the story that I read here, that they both remained vibrant beacons of faith for all their days. But we don't 
know the rest of the life story of either of them. It's not included. I can tell you that it didn't matter. It doesn't matter. God's power was displayed in this healing, in this resurrection. God's power was displayed. God's love shining through Peter was displayed. The name of Jesus was used and praised. These things all speak for themselves. The work of the Spirit through Peter became known all over in the places where these things happened and in the surrounding areas. And Peter, who probably never thought he would even go somewhere like Lydda, let alone the palace of paganism that Joppa had become, not only did he go there, he stayed, at least for a time. And that, as we will see next time, makes all the difference in the lives of first a few, and then thousands, and ultimately, billions of people. Billions of people. All because Peter realized that the Holy Spirit moves the people of God towards unconditional love and away from restrictive laws. And just like him, we must be ready to show the love of Jesus to all people in all situations. We should stand ready to welcome the unwelcome, to touch the untouchable, and to love those who God loves, which is every person he has created. Amen? Are you with me on this? Those of you who uh, come to the in-person services we have at our Alta Street location in Grass Valley at uh, 11 a.m. every Sunday morning, hey, this is the point at which I open up and invite questions or comments or disputes or disagreements or people who want to bring scripture to say that this scripture is more important than that scripture or whatever. This is the time that we have to debate and discuss and talk about the things that have been, have been brought up. You are always welcome to join us there, whoever you are, whatever you believe. For now, I'm going to close this in prayer, but I want you thinking about this. I want you thinking about the radical inclusion that's shown in these two little stories, because next week, in the next chapter, in the next story, the next piece of Acts that we read, radical inclusion gets even more radical. And it starts to get frightening. Hmm. Something to think about. Let's go to the Lord before we wrap our time up. Father, thank you so much for including me in your love. Thank you for including all of us in your love. Thank you for your promises from the beginning of scripture to the end that you are a God of love and mercy who wants us all to turn to you and does not want any one person to fail, be condemned, or be lost. Thank you that even though you are great enough to keep the entire universe, the whole of the cosmos spinning the way that it needs to, that you also care about us little individual people on this one little tiny planet at one little tiny galaxy at one end of that cosmos. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. And thank you that you do all you can to seek us out. Help us to seek out one another and draw others into the love of Jesus so that we as Christians are known by the way we follow Christ's command to love rather than by our arrogance, our anger, our 
foolish clinging to human rules rather than following divine directives. And Lord, we may all debate things in scripture, but the truth of your stories should stand as evidence for how we should treat the people around us. Teach us to treat people the way Jesus taught. You know what I'm trying to say, Lord. Teach us to treat people the way Jesus taught us to treat them. To treat people the way that Jesus treated them. Help us to be like him. Help us to be like you, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen and amen. And hey, whoever you are, wherever you think you are, wherever you think you're going, believe this. God is already there. You have nothing to fear. Just go with God. Grace and peace to each and every one of you in this coming week. We'll see you next time.